Father, we thank you so much again for another, another day just to be here together as your adopted children. We gather together to rejoice in all that you've done for us so that we never forget the great depth of your love and also the actions you took on our behalf to save us eternally. Father, most of all, we thank you for sending your own son out of heaven to become a man so that he could willingly take our place in judgment so that whoever trusts in him will be saved and have eternal life. Words can't describe that. and We ask that you help us appreciate that new and fresh every day. Father, please bless this message. Have your spirit guide us, and it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Okay, the Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 113. As you can see, we're back on our primary course of study, and we're going to do a little bit of review today uh, from our series this past week on giving the Gospel. And uh, you're going to see it goes right in with what we were learning right before pastor's vacation, uh, especially regarding the Spirit. So, if you recall, uh, before this series on giving the gospel, the Spirit was teaching us about His ministry in our lives, especially regarding Him being the main source of our sanctification. He's the one that sanctifies us. And we also noted on Sunday the Spirit's role in salvation, if you remember, and giving the gospel, and how important that is in terms of reaching the unbeliever. The Spirit of God is involved in our entire lives, from salvation to ultimate sanctification even, all the way to heaven. He's involved in our lives from beginning to end, in every area of our lives, and all the time. So let's review the Spirit's role in giving the gospel and bring it to His role in sanctification. We saw this on Sunday regarding salvation and the Spirit. Isn't it the work of the Spirit that convicts someone and saves them? I mean, we know the answer to that. Of course it is. But sometimes we think it's about us. Or we think we can, we can win somebody on our own in a convincing way or something. But it's only the Spirit that can convict somebody and that can change somebody's heart. And isn't it supernatural for a person to turn from self and turn to Christ in their heart. I mean, think about turning from self. I was thinking about this today. What that largely means for a lot of people is admitting that you cannot save yourself. You're not good enough to get into heaven. And that's a big deal for a lot of people, especially in this area with the major denom denomination around here. So to turn from self, it means, all right, I'm really going to admit that I am not good enough. And that takes humility, obviously, because arrogance says we are good enough. So it has to be a supernatural work of the Spirit in the heart of man to persuade a person to turn from self and turn to Christ in their heart for salvation. Of course, we remember that we can plant a seed and even water it. But the miracle of growth can only come from the Spirit of God at work in a person. Just think about that statement for a minute. We can plant a seed and even water it, the Bible says. But the miracle of growth can only come from the Spirit of God at work in a person. So just as a reminder, turn to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. And as we read this passage, I want you to think about the magnitude of the difference between watering and growth. Okay? Think about the magnitude of the difference between watering and growing. They're two, good catch, Shoni. They're two uh, totally different things. Shoni almost dumped his whole soda out. Um, but they're two totally different things. As much as life and death. All right, what I mean is inanimate 
object versus something that's alive. All right? So if God doesn't cause the growth in something, we might as well be watering a rock. Right? We can't do anything but doing the watering part. So in 1 Corinthians 3.5, look at this. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither is the one who plants nor the one who waters anything. That's all of us. We're not anything but God who causes the growth. Anyone can plant the seed or water it. Even a monkey can do that, right? And thank God for us, he only asks us to have the faith of a child and do those type of simple things. So on the board regarding salvation and the spirit, any actual growth, whether it is in a literal tree that we water or in the soul of a man, is an absolute miracle, only possible by the omnipotence of God. The things we take for granted today because of science, because we know how certain things work, you know, this, these things have been studied, we know how a, a seed germinates, let's say, right, or how a, a baby forms in the stomach of a woman. But, is that funny to me? <laughs> We know through science how these things work, but we really don't know how they work. I mean, what is causing that to work? What is causing that to grow? It's only the omnipotence of God. And that's what the Spirit encouraged us with on Sunday regarding giving the gospel. We are just vessels allowed to be in the path as a conduit of God's grace and love. That's all we are. You know, I keep thinking of a hose in my mind, something like that, to get the water from A to B, right? All we are is being used, and we, we volunteer, so to speak, and God says, okay, I'll use you. And we just pass on his grace and love. And therefore, all the pressure, all the real work is on the Spirit, all of it. We just pour some water on a seed, which, again, anybody can do. And in giving the gospel, we rely on the Spirit's power and wisdom. We saw this on Sunday as well. The Spirit is the one who helps people believe, even if we don't actually say the word believe to others. And a couple of good examples of that is Acts chapters 2 and 3. This is why we go out and trust the Spirit in what needs to be done or said. He'll guide us. He knows exactly what each person needs to hear. So it's God and his plan. That might sound overly simple, and we know that, but it really is God and his plan. We think we have more of a part in it than we should think sometimes. You know, we think we can take credit, or we think certain things depend on us. It's um, totally his work. All we are is volunteering to step in the way. So again, it's not about us. We are just vessels. And he will use us mightily if we're just willing to go out. Go again to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. This is really just a wonderful passage that should be very freeing to us about the Spirit putting things together, even in our mouths. You already there, 1 Corinthians 2? Oh, okay. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So again, we saw this on Sunday on the board. When we actually get out of the way, the Spirit puts words into our mouth. And it might be nothing like you thought you were going to say if you're getting out of the way. That's what happens. 
And by God's grace, we find ourselves combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words that we had no intent of putting together. And that is just a beautiful thing. I don't know how to explain it other than the fact that it's supernatural. And the, the less of you involved, the more of God is involved. The more you step aside, right, the more God takes over and fills your mouth. And there's all degrees of that, you know, when it, we're not perfect, obviously. But um, the more humble we are, the more he just does something supernatural. We were reminded uh, also on Sunday that one of the Spirit's points over the last couple of years for us was that it's all about personal relationships. Our lives on earth, our spiritual lives, even giving the gospel, it's all about personal relationships. So regarding giving the gospel, people don't need to hear fancy words. They need to see that you care. With all the hypocrisy in this world, even among Christians, they need to see that you care. That's what motivates them to listen to the good news. And that's the love of Christ shining through you. That speaks much louder than words. Uh, we, we went out last night to the homeless park in uh, Providence. Uh, and there were actually five of us, I believe, or six of us. Um, Alice, Kathy, it was good to see you guys come and check it out. And Mike and Michelle were there. And I know I, I heard in my own, with my own ears more than one person, and there weren't even that many people there last night, but more than one person said, you have no idea how encouraging it is to us just to see someone here that actually cares. Like that stood out to them more than the message, more than the tracks we were giving them, more than the waters we were passing out. More than one person said that. You have no idea how important it is. Like we think we're all alone. We think life is over at this point. And um, you have no idea what, what that does for us. And of course, we can just turn around and give the credit to Christ. And who knows, someone might be a believer just because of that. So it's that type of showing the love of God that is a vital part of giving the gospel. And that's what opens up the heart of man, his love. As we also noted, if we would just get out of the way, dropping our personal insecurities, which really is our arrogance, then sharing the gospel would be easy, as the faith of a child would share it. Think of a child. Think of a young child. They don't care what they look like, right? They could give two hoots about what they look like. They could be dressed like a fool. Um, you know, you could, you could paint their face. You, know, you, you could do something. They don't care. They're just enjoying life. They just are not preoccupied with their insecurities. So isn't it interesting we're told to have the faith of a child? Insecurities is our arrogance. Oh my God, do you know what I look like right now? Or what I feel like right now? And oh my God, I'm so fat. Or oh my clothes look like horrible. I can't go out in front of people right now. What is that? I think that's a thing called pride. And if we can drop that and realize that it's not all about us, God can use us mightily. And it will be easy to share the gospel because we won't care about ourselves. We won't care what the response is even. So why is it so simple on our end? Because we have the Spirit right with us all the time. And all the pressure is on Him to convict people, to change hearts. All we do is be there, literally sometimes. And God will use us and He convicts the hearts of men. So let's transition a little bit. Someone decides to believe in Christ. The Spirit convicts them. They decide to accept Christ in their heart as Lord and Savior. They turn from self and they say, I can't do it. I need Christ. I surrender. And that person is saved. And at that moment of someone's salvation, the Spirit does a lot of work, according to the Scriptures. He transforms the new believer into a new creature in Christ. Obviously a miracle. He gives the new believer a multitude of gifts in Christ. 
which we don't even have time to go into the long list of those. He does all this. The Spirit does all this at the moment of salvation. And once the Spirit brings a person to saving faith in Christ, He then guarantees their sanctification as well. That's what we've been studying. All the way to ultimate sanctification and perfection in heaven. He guarantees it. Thank God. God finishes what He starts. He, he never ever starts something and forgot to count the cost. He never starts something and runs out of materials, you know, to use human analogies. It never ever happens to him when he starts something. It's already completed in his mind and honestly in his reality. We're stuck in time right now. But God always finished what he starts. And salvation always results in sanctification by the grace of God. And what we saw a week ago is that the Holy Spirit is our primary cause for sanctification. So we've seen the Spirit's work in salvation, uh, even for the unbeliever and conviction, and then we see the Spirit's work in our lives as believers all the way to ultimate sanctification. Turn in your Bibles again to Romans 8, verse 1. And we're going to read through this chapter as we did a week and a half ago, if you remember. Maybe you don't, which is why we're doing it again. But it's a wonderful chapter about the Holy Spirit, you know, so hands-on in our sanctification. So let's start in Romans 8.1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There we see believers have the Spirit's special ministry at all times. For those who are according to the flesh, that's talking about unbelievers, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you, believer, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If, in other words, if you're saved. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, and there we see experiential sanctification, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's stop there for a minute. There's our security. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit's presence is our very confidence the one who reassures us of salvation even within ourselves. 
It's the Spirit's ministry that we have ever present in our lives to ensure us of God's love for us. He reminds us. If we're truly a child of God, then His Spirit assures us of our confidence, which is something that increases over time as He goes about sanctifying us gradually over time. That's experiential sanctification. And our confidence, as long as we stay in the Word and and we keep praying and open relationship with God, our confidence gradually increases more and more and more. And that's because of the Spirit. The very first thing he says is if you've jumped in the boat by trusting in Christ with your heart, you are saved. And then he leads us on the journey, taking us along incrementally, perfectly patient and loving, and he allows us to experience things for ourselves, even our own bad decisions. But he's right there the whole time. This is how he sanctifies us. He empowers us to live a life for Christ. And he teaches us and convicts us along the way, even when we're tempted to go astray. He's always there. Always there, knocking on your soul. Have you ever heard that before? That little knock? You shouldn't be going there. You shouldn't be doing that. You know the right thing. And that's really our good conscience. Why do we have that? That's because the Spirit is in us from the moment of salvation. So, regarding that last verse, in uh, verse 16, on the board, the Spirit testifies. The Spirit testifies with our own spirit that all of these wonderful things are given to us because God loves His children. He keeps reminding us, regardless of our doubts, regardless of our selfishness, our disobedience at times, He keeps reminding us, God loves his children. He wouldn't have gone through what he did on the cross, obviously. So let's finish this passage and allow the Spirit to minister to us as we read. Again, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's a cool phrase, isn't it? Just look at that phrase. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's talking about us. And all creation one day is going to be made new just like we're a new creature. And ultimately in heaven we'll, we'll only be the new creature. Everything else will be left behind. Again in verse um, 21. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. And think of Galatians 5, 22 and 23 the fruit of the Spirit. That's a precursor to ultimate sanctification. When we're perfect in heaven, we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit in spades. Perfect, 100%. So not only this, but we we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope, we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Can anyone relate to that verse? The Spirit, first of all, helps our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we should, right? Sometimes you question and doubt even while you're praying. Am I doing this right? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. See, again, it goes back to being willingly humble, right? Because if you're willing to pray, even though you don't know what to say, that's all God wants. So there you are, willing to pray, bowing your head before the Father, and then the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, intelligence is not a requirement for the spiritual life. In fact, it's probably a hindrance. Simple is wonderful, and it gets us out of the way. And the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, because we're willing. And I think about that when I'm praying and I don't know the words to say. And you know how sometimes you have a thought, there's something on your mind, you're trying to get across to God, but you don't even know the right way to say it, and then you can actually relax. You can say, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And he's praying for you right at that very moment. He knows exactly what you mean. And because you just came to the table, he's able to take over. You see? Wonderful. So in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, how can glorification be in the past tense when it hasn't happened yet? Well, in God's eyes, it's already happened. That, there's our ultimate sanctification. He's already glorified us. Verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So the Spirit and the Son are praying for us, like, like we have to really do anything besides be willing. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Spirit reminds us that God isn't letting go of us. The Spirit's ministry in our lives is all-encompassing and even eternal. And we must remember it's a supernatural thing. It's not something that we can put a finger on or rationalize. Embrace the supernatural nature of his working in us. That's what will set us free. Embrace the fact that you're not in control. Embrace the fact that you don't understand how he works. And that's a wonderful thing when you're a child that has a perfect father, right? Embrace the supernatural nature of his work in us. So therefore it doesn't depend on us and our power, but on his divine 
working in us. We may not be able to fully describe how the Spirit does what He does, but we can see that Scripture says He does do it. And in fact, He does it for us, as long as we are willing. So, for example, regarding experiential sanctification, we saw this a couple weeks ago, the dynamic spiritual life. God's love, through His Spirit, will see our sanctification to fruition. He guarantees it as the great benefactor, the only one motivated by perfect love, and therefore no contract is actually needed. Remember that whole analogy? And he's the only one with the perfect power to pull it all off. The dynamic spiritual life. He's moving. He's always moving in our lives, even when we're going the wrong way. So we have the perfect mentor by our side, the Holy Spirit. Every single step of the way, even when we're unfaithful, he's faithful. I want to remind you of one point from Baker's Dictionary that really shows the importance of the Spirit in our sanctification. It says, The Holy Spirit is the dynamic of sanctification. Jesus said that He had to go away so that the Holy Spirit would indwell believers. John 14, 16-20 The Holy Spirit, quote-unquote, is so named not because He's more holy than the Father and the Son, but because His specific ministry Vis-a-vis salvation is sanctification. His specific ministry is sanctification. What does sanctification mean again? It means to be made holy. So who better to do that than the Holy Spirit? That's what He does. He makes holy. So that's just what the Spirit does for a living, if you will. That's his main task. First, positionally, he makes us holy at the moment of salvation. Then experientially, he's making us holy. Even though we kick against him sometimes, he's making us holy. He's going to get us there one way or the other. And then one day, ultimately in heaven, he makes us holy and perfect forever. Thank God that his spirit also shows himself in our spirit, in our conscience, to, you know, encourage us of these facts, to remind us of these facts, day in and day out, as we tend to doubt, as we tend to get selfish, etc. He's there reminding us. We each recognize the Spirit's conviction in our lives in a unique way also. Don't forget that. Like, He's very personal. He does, He reaches you or connects with you in a different way that He connects with me. He knows exactly how to encourage us, how to remind us, how to get our attention, how to answer our prayer. He knows what we listen to. He knows what we don't listen to. Right? So don't forget that wonderful part of it too. And there's not not one way that this is done. You shouldn't be saying, gee, I wonder if I hear the Spirit because it's not like so-and-so hears the Spirit. Don't worry about that. That's, That's not the right way to look at it because he knows exactly how to reach your soul and your spirit if you're humble if if you're listening and how grateful we should be that Jesus didn't leave us all alone can you imagine (laughs) imagine if he said you're saved good luck bring me some glory I'll be back later to get you and he didn't leave his spirit it would be ugly to say the least we'd have no power But Jesus empowers us through His Spirit. And as we've seen before, it is His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Himself. We see this interchangeable in the Scriptures over and over, which is a wonderful mystery that we should just accept by faith. One example of that is Acts 16, verse 7. And actually, we just read another example of that. Look at Romans 8. You're still in Romans 8, right? Romans 8, verse 9. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Himself. 
However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Again, the point on the board, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus himself, with us, in us, supporting us. We thank the Father that he didn't leave us alone, but his Spirit mentors us, encourages us, prays for us, and guides us, among many other things. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. The way God works is just a mystery all around. And that should be totally fine with us because we sense His presence. We know when He's knocking on our souls. Um, we feel His love at times. He reminds us of things. I mean, it's a supernatural thing. But um, He's always there and He's working in mysterious ways, even when we're not listening. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So we're back to the fact that it is the Spirit's role in our sanctification. He is the major player to get us sanctified. On the board, regarding sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth, by the Spirit refers to His active ministry in our lives. Faith in the truth refers to the substance of His ministry, namely the Word of God. And taken together, we are sanctified by Him through the Word. So remember also that God predestined us for a divine purpose. And we're still reviewing from a week and a half ago, so I'm sorry if I'm going a little bit fast, but... Remember also that God predestined us for a divine purpose. That is our sanctification, actually setting us apart while in the devil's world. That's what he's doing actively, making us holy or set apart so that we can be a light in the world. On the board, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So the purpose of sanctification is that we are transformed into the image of Christ once for all. He's actively doing it now. Gradually, slowly, patiently, he's bringing us, making us more and more like Christ. But one day, it's all going to be complete and tied up with a perfect bow, so to speak. Like Romans 8.29, on the board, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. We've been predestined in God's big picture plan to become conformed to the image of his son. And when God starts something, it's already done in his mind. And this is what Paul refers to in the next verse. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2.14. It was for this he called you, through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So again, we're reminding ourselves that it is the Spirit who sanctifies us, that makes us holy, that completes the work in us, etc., 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen somebody? How awesome is that though? Faithful is he who calls you, he also will bring it to pass. How many times do we start worrying about, you know, 
our growth, our, our progress, our faithfulness, our lack of faithfulness. But he's just after our hearts, isn't he? He's just after our willingness, our humility, our you know, willingness to follow him. And if we're willing, he does all the work. And so we see, again, he will also bring it to pass. So as the Spirit's been teaching us throughout this series, there's no question in God's mind regarding a believer's salvation or sanctification. Those are done deals. And really, it's all one in his mind. So that takes us to ultimate sanctification again, regarding uh, sanctification perspectives. Ultimately, one day, we will be completely righteous. Completely righteous without the old sin nature, right? Eternally, completely, ultimately perfect. Our perspective is becoming more and more like God's through this series, hopefully. And that's what God wants. He's like, I want you to see what I see. I want you to look at things the way I look at things. That this is already a done deal. And, and you're there for now. You've got some work to go through. And I want you to experience some things. I want you to learn some things. I want you to see it for yourself in a way. And trust me. And bring glory to me in front of you know, Satan and the fallen angels. But really, ultimately, this is already done. And I'm just asking you to have faith. And keep going. He wants us to see the big picture like he sees it. He wants us to keep our ultimate destiny in mind. How often do we lose track of our ultimate destiny? We get wrapped up in the world. We get a little frustrated. We, you know, try to do things ourselves in our own power. We lose track of our ultimate destiny, where we're going very soon, all by his power and grace doesn't even depend on us. So let's review some uh, scripture that we saw before Pastor went on vacation regarding ultimate sanctification. And it's this very hope that helps us live for Christ. It's this very focus that helps us live for Christ now. Ultimate sanctification. This is the final phase of the salvation process, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the glorification of the believer, Philippians 3.21, in the likeness of our Lord, John 8.54. It is guaranteed on the merits of Christ, Hebrews 10.10-14. It is realized at resurrection, John 11.25-26, when believers will be transformed and presented to the Lord as holy, Ephesians 1.4. And we also saw Ephesians 1, 9 through 14, and 1 John 3, 1 through 2. So let's revisit some of these scriptures as we continue to review and get back on track as we finish up this series on salvation and sanctification. Go in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And this is on the final phase of the salvation process. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who does the sanctifying? God himself. Sanctify you entirely. On the second point on the board regarding the glorification of the believer, let's go to Philippians 3.21. thinking of our great benefactor. We can trust him as person because he's perfect. Philippians 3.21 Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Whose power is it? says it right there, it's His. And that He will transform our body. So it really, I mean, it has so little to do with us, really, it's ridiculous. It's just by grace through faith. Right? Salvation and sanctification. By grace through faith. And He does all the work. 
On the third point, in the likeness of our Lord, go to John 8.54. going on out there? <laughs> Sounds like a paper factory. John eight fifty four. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. So he, if the same way He glorified Jesus is the way He's going to glorify us, because He is our God, and we're in union with Christ. Regarding our sanctification being guaranteed due to the merits of Christ, go to Hebrews 10.10. 10. The merits are totally His, which again takes all the pressure off of us. Hebrews 10.10. 10. <clears throat> By this will... By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Notice again it says, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Who's that talking about? Us, right? Believers? By one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And then regarding our ultimate sanctification being realized at the resurrection. Look at John 11, verse 25 and 26. God is faithful, and he will also bring it to pass. John eleven twenty-five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What a glorious statement. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Listen, when, you, when we die physically, it's just a transition. It's a going from here to there. It's not actually death to us. We go on living and we get changed instantly. So this is keeping the big picture in mind. This is the power of studying and, and, and reading all the scriptures on ultimate sanctification. On the board, God gave us an imagination so we could picture this great day. The day of ultimate sanctification and perfection. The day we are rescued from this world forever. And again, it's that great hope of that great day that keeps us desiring to live for Christ now. That keeps our eyes off the things of the world. Put them off. Remember on Sunday, one verse, it said, the form of this world is passing away. Why would we cling to anything in this world? Again, God gave us an imagination so we could picture this great day. The day of our ultimate sanctification and perfection. The day we are rescued from this world forever. And one day, we're going to be holy and blameless before him, forever and ever, with no more chance of falling, no more chance of doubting, no more chance of slipping spiritually. Go to Ephesians 1.4. One, one day, we will be holy and blameless before him forever and ever. I know it's beyond our imagination, but we should try to imagine it. He wants us to dwell on these things. He want, this, is, this is our great hope. He wants us to picture 
eternally with him. And, and um, you know, rejoice in the salvation that is going to become totally 100% perfect and real one day. He wants us to use that to motivate ourselves. In essence, that's following him. And that's following his promises. Ephesians 1.4 Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Done deal in God's eyes. So back to the Spirit's role in our ultimate sanctification on the board. The Spirit guarantees it. And He is our down payment on ultimate redemption. All to the praise of God's glory. Who gets all the glory? God. Because when we see Him in heaven, we're going to be like, wow, I can't believe you did this. Because I know I had nothing. And now it's perfect, and I can't believe you did. But that's why we're not going to be able to stop praising him in heaven. Because we're going to see him just as he is, and we're going to be just captivated by his love and his faithfulness. And that's why heaven is heaven. Again, the Spirit guarantees it. He is our down payment on ultimate redemption to the praise of God's glory. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Again, to the praise of His glory. On the board, ultimately, one day, we will be just like our Lord by His grace forever and ever. Go to 1 John 3, verse 1. One day, ultimately, we're going to be just like our Lord, all by His grace, forever and ever and ever. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet, what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And the Spirit left us a week and a half ago with some wonderful things to dwell on to help us live in our great hope right now. On the board, regarding the eternal state experience, we were reminded that there's no more flesh with the resurrection body in 1 Corinthians 15. There's no more tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. Revelation 21.4. There's no more marriage or procreation. Matthew 22.30. And there's even no need for the sun, which I don't know how you imagine that, honestly, right? But there's no need because He is the light that's brighter and more pure and more beautiful than the sun itself. Revelation 22.5. So the big picture. Step back. You know, allow God to minister to you. Allow the Spirit to minister to you in this way. To give you His peace. The big picture is that we will all be with our Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. Perfectly made in His image miraculously transformed by His grace and power. So as we close regarding ultimate sanctification, 
This is the ultimate promise and therefore the ultimate motivation to living for Christ now, for living by faith while we still have time, and for going out and making disciples for our Lord. So we can honestly say when we get to heaven that we were a fellow partaker in his gospel forever and ever as we celebrate him for all eternity. So let's close with a special video tonight.
Father, we thank you so much for your amazing word and your amazing spirit guiding us, teaching us, showing us the truth that we need to rely on by grace through faith. We thank you for our imaginations, Father, that we can sit back in this world, close our eyes, and dwell upon worshiping you for all eternity, being made perfect and holy by your grace and your power. Father, we ask that you help us take this message, this good news out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask your blessing upon all of us as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.